step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. And welcome back to Success Made to Last Legend Show. I'm Rick Tokini. This program is brought to you by Blue Dots Partners, along with Edward Jones Financial Advisors. You know, we've had many conversations on this legend show, but few are as compelling as the one that you're about to hear with Otis Chandler. We first met Otis and his wife, Elizabeth, at our daughter's wedding in 2018, and they made a lasting first impression. Otis and Elizabeth are founders of Goodreads. He and Elizabeth, along with their extraordinary team, built a community of over 90 million followers. Otis did all the engineering. Elizabeth did the editorial and PR. And together with their team, they topped 500 million page uploads per month. By the way, their audience is 70% female, probably only outdone by Pinterest. Today, you're going to hear about Otis's secret to success, and that's solving problems that people have. You know, the mission that they've got within the company was pretty clear and simple. It's to help readers find and share books that they love. But today's conversation is going to be a little bit different. We're talking with Otis about his newest project. He's been tinkering with a new idea following a healthy sabbatical that he and Elizabeth have enjoyed. You know, if Warren Buffett said the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything, today we're going to find out what Otis Chandler is saying yes to. Here's our conversation with Otis Chandler from the legendary family that started the L.A. Times. Hey, Chandler, welcome to our show. Tell us about your family. Ah, okay, the Chandler family. Well, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's a history that uh, has not a lot to do with my career in ARC, but, you know, my grandfather and his father and his father and five generations before that were uh, the founders and CEOs and publishers of the Los Angeles Times Media Company, which incorporated the Los Angeles Times and a number of other newspapers and, and cable media companies. And it was a public company back in the day. And I remember having a formative moment in high school where I asked my grandfather if I should uh, follow his footsteps into that line of business. And he said, no, 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 you should go be an engineer like you're thinking of doing. So that's what I did. But to have the grandfather, the Otis Chandler, correct? Uh, yes, I take my name from from him, and he still outranks me on SEO. So uh, he is the famous Otis Chandler in uh, in the history books. And so, what what was the moment of um, imagination when the light bulb went on to uh, start Goodreads? Yeah, so I had a 
background in kind of being a software engineer and product manager at a at a company called Tickle, which was just an internet startup in in two thousand. Uh, and I had an amazing six year experience there. Learned a ton, and you know, as a part of that, we were in two thousand four building early social networks, and this was a time when you know. Facebook was still in college, just at Harvard. Uh, something called Stanford InCircle was vying to be the next, uh, right, right alongside Facebook. And uh, Friendster was big and MySpace was big. And uh, and so I had the formative experience of kind of building a social network from the inside mm-hmm. out at, at Tickle. Uh, and my formative moment was kind of realizing that uh, I, we also had a dating site and, and it had been interesting to watch in dating, you know, the, every ethnicity, every um, religion had a, had its own dating site. So it really niche. Uh, and I could see social networks were starting to do that, right? So we're going to have the big generic uh, MySpace, Friendster, Facebooks, mm-hmm. uh, but then we're going to have niches or, and, and social networking was clearly going that way. Uh, and then I actually had an inspirational moment, I guess, <laughs> which was, I went to a friend's house in San Francisco in his apartment and he had like that bookshelf uh, on display of physical books. If you remember those, people used to read those. Uh, Some people still do. Uh, And I just started grilling him about those books and, you know, what's this one? What was it about? What's this one? What what, what is it about? And I walked out uh, with a bunch of books I was excited to read because I had that personal recommendation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my day job, I'm building social networks around dating around photo sharing around personality testing and i was like why can't it be around the object so the social object of a book because if i if i did that and people just took that bookshelf they've got in their living room and put it on a web page you know i could just browse their shelves from from the internet and get a ton of book recommendations and if i did that i'd never lack for a good book recommendation like ever again uh and it and it kind of worked because now you have too many book recommendations. But that that was kind of the notion is mm-hmm. let's let's all put the books we loved online and let others browse them and that'll be great fodder for recommendations because the best recommendations come from your friends or people you know That's anyway, right. and still do. That's right. I I appreciate that and I think that it's it's one of those um, quiet mentors for those that don't have mentors to give some direction. My mentors in life are some of the greatest people I've ever known. And they were all authors for the most part. And so they were always telling me, Hey, here's my latest book. Zig Ziglar was one of my uh, wonderful mentors. I'm a a very lucky person to have had him. And to that end, I want you to tell our listening audience about some of your special mentors that you've had in life that have shaped and influenced you. Yeah, sure. I I think there's a great phrase somebody told me once, which is everybody kind of needs five to six people you can go to with different mm-hmm. problems. And I think that's very true. And, you know, I was lucky at Goodreads to have had the guys who started Tickle. Uh, so my CEO from Tickle, James Courier, and uh, my head of engineering there, Stan Tudnowski, and a number of people who worked there kind of helped me get off the ground, advised me from the beginning, uh, and also introduced me to other entrepreneurs and, and venture capitalists. And, you know, my experience raising venture capital was so easy because they helped set up the round. Uh, and so 
I think, you know, we had about 10 kind of people at, uh, who I made advisors or investors at Goodreads over, over the period of time we, we, you know, my 14 years, uh, doing it. And each one of those people I could go to with a different problem or when I have a, a different thing I needed to figure out or a different insecurity, <laughs> um, and, you know, bounce ideas off of them. Uh, I, I would say, you know, if I had to pick one, I think Stan Chudnowski, who was the head of engineering at Tickle, is today a good friend, was on my board at Goodreads. Uh, he really was just a person who contributed a ton to helping me figure stuff out uh, and just being that sounding board. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's just an amazingly brilliant person, uh, without which, you know, I probably would have gone off the rails, I don't know, a dozen times. So I, I agree with you. Mentors can add a lot, though they don't always use that word. I, I found like advisors uh, to be more common. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a good point. Some people are often scared off by the idea or the word mentor. I don't want them to be, you know, if you. But presupposes, you know, more than the that's right. Person, that's right. Sometimes it's true in some categories of information, but it won't be true across the true. board. The people that I mentor go, they say, boy, you've sure made a lot of mistakes. You must be good at mentoring. <laughs> <laughs> All those lessons. Now tell me what you've learned and do it fast, they say. Um, we're talking with Otis Chandler today, and he was the founder of Goodreads. He's been away from Goodreads for a couple of years. We want to know what your latest, newest projects are. Yeah, so I... Stepped away from, from Goodreads, and I really had no idea what to do, uh, honestly, with the rest of my life. Uh, and I was lucky to be able to kind of just be able to focus on family and health uh, and uh, for a good year and a half. Uh, and that was great. I, you know, I, I would love to expand on the health piece because I think that is a bigger piece um, that a lot of people overlook. But, you know, I rode my bike around. I trained for triathlons. I learned to meditate. I learn to cook and eat healthier. Um, it was really, really refreshing. And I played a lot with my kids. I took them to school. I took them to activities. Like I did things that I never in my busy life as a CEO of Goodreads with a hundred employees uh, in EA, uh, you know, my life scheduled from every minute of my calendar was booked from 9am to 9pm. You know, it was a crazy time in life. And to just be able to decompress and do that for a good year and a half was amazing. But then I kind of found that I needed to do more than just ride my bike around all day. Uh, you know, like I started getting just a little bit itchy for a project. And so I just started tinkering on the notion for uh, this idea that I've had for a long time, which is to do something in the news and kind of content discovery and news article space. Uh, and uh, kind of early this year, I tried to start programming on it. And I realized that, you know, programming is not like riding a bike. It turns out uh, it doesn't come back to you. Uh, about half of it comes back to you. And then the other half totally changed because like the bikes of 10 years ago are now like, like flying drones, like <laughs> uh, programming has all changed. So anyway, I found a couple of co-founders and we're now just kind of like cranking very early stage on an idea uh, around, you know, like how do we address all the problems in media? I think, uh, Problems in books were a very different set of problems, but I'm obviously passionate about reading uh, because I believe reading is where you get a lot of, you know, it's, it's like the best way of transmitting kind of human knowledge. Mm 
Um, and so books are really good for that because they're often very well researched. And therefore, the kind of signal to noise ratio, if you're picking good ones, which was part of our goal at Goodreads is to help you do that, uh, was very valuable. But, you know, as a part of my project, we, we, I also got kind of sucked into the crypto rabbit hole. Uh, and we're, we're, think, we're looking at building this project as a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, which is basically like not a company, but, but a decentralized protocol that's kind of ruled by crypto tokens. Um, and so I've been trying to learn about the crypto world, which is enormous. It's much, much, much more interesting and bigger than I gave it credit for. And I was sort of tangentially aware of it for a long time. Uh, but everything you want to learn about this area, it's not in books. It's not in your standard uh, media articles. It's all in its own kind of world, but it's all online. And finding the right opinions on it matters a lot more. So that's kind of what we're trying to help people do is like, really learn about interesting new areas that you wouldn't necessarily learn about by just reading the stuff everyone else is reading. Very good. It's consistent and aligned with, uh, with you. It sounds like, and your, and your uh, curiosity that's a part of your DNA. <laughs> I think it's in line with me being an engineer, a tinker, and yes, a person who's kind of interested in long tail content discovery systems, because I, I, I really think w especially for things that are going to shape your opinion about things in the mm -hmm. world. Like you, you need to be careful, uh, curate carefully uh, what, what you read. Mm. Be careful about curating. I'm writing that one down for my own sake. Be careful about curating. <laughs> well, be careful sounds very ominous, <laughs> but it's more just, you know, read the right stuff, avoid the wrong uh, stuff. But how do you do that? That's very I hard. I love that. Read the right stuff. Okay. All right, um, we're going to cut to a commercial, and then we're going to come back and continue our wonderful conversation with Otis Chandler. And thanks to uh, our special uh, sponsor of this show, Blue Dots Partners. Hey, we have known the team at Blue Dots Partners for going on a year now. We started with an interview on this very show of Dr. Philippe Boisseau, which led to reading his brilliant book, Aligning the Dots, and we have literally worn that book out. Dr. Boisseau was a direct report to Steve Jobs and started Apple.com, growing it from $1. Today, it does over $25 billion a year in sales. Dr. Boisseau wants to shift the paradigm and move the needle when it comes to growing your enterprise. He is the guy who wants to create the next big acceleration stage for your company. Would you like to work with him? The proprietary process starts with a business alignment score, and the questions that he asks, man, they're tough. We learned that aligning our business both internally and externally is a must for growth and that a growth playbook needs to be crafted. Well, it became our guide to achieving growth within our own company. So if you lead or own a business that is over $10 million in sales like us, you're seeking to grow consistently ahead of competition. Well, if that's the case, then Blue Dots Partners are your partners in waiting because as Dr. Boy Sue says, there's only growth or death. So visit bluedotspartners.com today. That's bluedotspartners.com today. And also watch his great TV show, The Alignment Zone, on C-Suite TV. Remember, if you aren't willing to risk the unusual, you will have to settle 
for the ordinary. And we're back. Hey, Otis, you were talking about reading the right stuff and making sure that we uh, that you're addressing issues in media. We had on a guest um, from Facebook, a top official from Facebook, and we were trying to get to the truth about how they're managing the truth. In this newest project that you're working on, what is going to be your approach other than the usual Otis Chandler highest level of integrity of seeking out the truth in the midst of all the slings and arrows of falsehoods that are floating around in this world today? Yeah, good good question and super important topic. And I think truth is one of those things that in media has become uh, you know, a, a more almost more opinion or or something that doesn't align with my viewpoints can't be truth, um, and and that's a super hard thing to deal with. You know, I I, I don't want to go into super depth on like exactly what we're thinking of building because it's so super early stage. Uh, but I think, and you know, I just wrote a post on Medium and uh, posted that on Twitter about that just the other day. Uh, but I think one of the problems we've seen in media is is that, you know, 10 years ago, newsrooms had huge fact-checking and much bigger editorial rooms where they were able to, you know, kind of be the newspaper of records to, to a larger degree. Uh, and now, you know, due to business economic model pressuring, they've, they've had to slim those departments. And some publications have has absolutely no fact checking, right? Like you've got Forbes and Fortune and things that, and Huffington Post, where you know it's just individuals posting stuff, and it, it could just be totally wrong. Um, and you know, you you kind of add to that the the notion that a lot of this truth is kind of being written for the advertising model, and I think that's you know, like the, there's a very interesting uh, TED talk where where a guy named Jaron Lanier talks about the notion that the fact that the internet was built in the early nineties without a business model baked in meant that it became an advertising business model. And he called it and called that the original sin of the internet. And I thought that was just such a fascinating way or perspective uh, on, on what the internet became, which is a lot of advertising. You know, you go to Google and you search for stuff and you see ads and then you click to a page and you see ads and you know, with media, you, you're, you're going to Facebook or Twitter or Reddit or places where there's advertising models and you're seeing content that's designed to rise up in the ranks of those algorithms that's been written to get page views so they can make money on ads. And it's warped the content. And I'm not saying, by the way, that journals aren't doing a great job. I think there are lots who are. I think there's lots of good content that is being propagated, but there's also but it's battling against lots of content that's being uh, repurposed, rewritten, referencing the original, but but kind of you know in a bad game of telephone and and getting warped, and I think that's disturbing. And I think a lot of people you know recognize what what I'm probably saying, what I'm saying probably. Uh, and it's I don't pretend to have a silver bullet answer to that, but it but it is a very interesting problem to think about attacking. So it'll be a part of the underpinning of your new company, like it or not. <laughs> it is an exciting set of problems that we're trying to figure out how to tackle. And we're, you know, riding a couple waves of technology that I think make it a unique moment in time to do that. 
specifically that that is kind of web web three are you familiar with yes, this term so web three being kind of a new decentralized way of, of starting companies or or not companies but DAOs uh and managing communities and you know i think that's fascinating if i could do goodreads over again uh the notion of doing it as a as a DAO or of getting community ownership and say in the in the actual product and the authors and the publishers and all of our customers uh which just works so much better uh and you know the other the other trends we're writing are you know machine learning and ai and big data and the ability to run those algorithms against big sets of data has gotten very easy in the last couple of years um mm. and so yeah we think between the two of those there, there's some interesting work to be done you could unravel the original sin <laughs> i didn't say that <laughs> okay i was just throwing it out there to get your reaction I think uh, stay after it. Okay. How about that as a personal encouragement? I appreciate okay, it. Okay. So um, as I promised you, we're going to ask you some deep philosophical questions. And um, some of these, we I may be skewered by my, um, my friend slash son-in-law, William Barnes for asking, because it's like you had Otis Chandler on the show. Your one chance to talk to Otis since you met him the first time and you're asking him these questions. And I say, I don't care because I'm getting to talk to Otis about them. So here goes the first one. Um, what are your favorite expressions of human creativity, such as art, reading, writing, etc.? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Favorite expressions. Can you maybe expand on the question a little bit? Like, what do you, what do you mean by expressions? Well, um, for me individually, I'm a drummer in a band and I express myself through percussion. Ah, how do I personally express myself on art and creativity? I see. I mean, I think I'm a tinker. I'm an engineer, right? I'm a, I'm a, as a kid, I, I, I had a drawer in my house of disassembled electronical and mechanical parts of every thing I could find that no one cared if I disassembled it. And I would sometimes I'd put them back together and make new things out of them. But mostly I just took them apart to see what was in there and how did it work. I like, I like knowing how things work. And then I know I like knowing how 
you might put them back together or reassemble them into other things. And, you know, I think when you're, when you're coming up, when, when you're working on, you know, innovation and technology in particular, you know, the, the, I have a little bit of a rant. Is that okay if I go on a little Please bit do. of a rant? Because uh, I, I think there's a pattern that is understandable, but maybe a little unhealthy, which is a lot of people want to copy the hot trend, right? And true innovation is, is means building something that no one's done before, right? And if you look at most of the large breakout successful companies, they, they've created something that no one else has done before. But everybody seems to want to follow the hot trend, so... Right now, at least in the world I follow, like NFTs are a super hot trend. And the number of companies being formed around NFTs right now is just insane because everybody recognizes there's like an opportunity there. And so like you have these people running around with a hammer and I don't mean to like say anything bad about some of them because some of them are smart enough to actually figure something out. But most people who are running around with a hammer saying, oh, NFTs are a thing. How can I make a, a business out of it? Or, you know, like... XYZ is a thing. How do, you know, big data is a thing. AI is a thing. Mobile was a thing. How do I, how do I make a, make, make a business out of it? And that almost never works. What works is to kind of come at a problem at, at salt. What works is to solve a problem people mm -hmm. have. And I have a, I don't know if it's unique, but a particular philosophy around how to recognize that because what you find when people actually have a problem that isn't solved well is you'll find small numbers of them kind of going out of their way to cobble together a solution that usually doesn't scale or is messy and complicated and hard to, to build. Uh, and they're trying to hack it together. So for instance, and, and then you'll find software that kind of comes in and makes it much bigger, scalable, better. So for instance, do you remember bulletin boards back in communities where you could like yes. say, I have items for sale in my garage and you like take a little phone mm -hmm. number thing and rip it off and call the person. <laughs> Uh, that was like an early version of Craigslist. It was. Right. I got stuff for sale in my garage. And then Craigslist came out literally listing that exact thing. And boom, suddenly you, you, you have a huge, one of the biggest websites in the mm. world that, that, you know, disrupted lots of other categories. So like an, at Goodreads, one of our example was uh, there were a ton of people who before Goodreads existed were writing book reviews on like the early blogging systems of like 2005 and six, right? Like blogger and WordPress and uh, word journal, lack journal. Uh, and they wanted a place to connect to other people who are reading the same books as them. And put, but they couldn't do it very well. They couldn't find each other mm -hmm. very well. But when Goodreads came around, they all reviewed the same book. Boom. They all found each other. They followed each other. They made friends with each other. And by the way, my early thesis, when I told you the story at the beginning about we wanted to like see my friends' uh, right. books, my thesis that a social network for books was was the right thing to build was turned out to be wrong. The right thing to build, it turned out to be a community of book lovers because people actually wanted to find people who read the same stuff as them. And those tended out to be not usually people you know. Interesting. So I had to kind of follow what were the problems people had mm -hmm. and then solve, solve, solve those problems. And then you find you can, if you can scale those problems, they keep growing. I'll give you another example. Uh, do you know anyone who keeps a list in their purse or wallet of like books they've heard about that they want to buy? Uh, only one person in my lifetime. 
And why does this person not replace that yet with Goodreads? Probably because they <laughs> they haven't gotten out of their own cave yet. No, I'm I'm <laughs> giving you a hard time for no reason. But that that pattern, a lot of people did that, and some still do because they haven't discovered that there's an app for that. Right. But that would be another kind of pattern that's you know like an analog low scale problem that and making software scales and makes better. Mm. I really appreciate your perspective on that. And it really, it's a, I think maybe it comes down to pain and the claim and how individuals, enterprises, individuals, communities, or whatever are approaching problems in general and chasing down the problem and being hyper-focused on solutions. Is that it? I think so. I think so. Jeff, Jeff Bezos has some good rants on this. He calls the same thing, uh, well, he calls customer obsession. It's, it's the same thing as solving mm -hmm. a problem. But he points out there's two ways to build a big company. You can fast follow the leader and try to be second or third in the space, right? I can be Lyft to Uber and you can still big a big company in most markets if you're second or third, but, you know, beware because fourth or fifth, you're not going to, you're not going to make it. Uh, or you try to really focus on solving a problem that, that people have that no one's really recognized. And that's a hard thing to do. You know, I'm in the middle of trying to do that right now. I've already had one, you know, like successful product I've created. So you'd think I'd be very confident, <laughs> but I still find myself going, am I crazy for thinking I could do this? Uh, why has no one else done this? You know, it's, it's, it's really a tough thing because like you would really think someone else would have done this if it was a good idea. And you can kind of articulate all the reasons you might think of, like logically, mm. why no one else would have done the thing you're thinking of doing. But still, you're like you never you you can never know for sure, uh, and it's a hard thing. You kind of just really have to like jump off the ledge at some point. You do. Okay, so I've been hanging out lately with a, a guy, uh, Doctor Philippe Buissou, who worked for Steve Jobs, and he started Apple.com for Steve, and you know, just a tremendous guy, smart as you can get. And he taught me that Steve Jobs taught him that they were in the business of delighting customers, not in iPhones and iPads and all that. So if, if you believe that, where is delighting customers going to fit into your new project? Where's delighting customers? What a wonderful word. I mean, delight. I think there was a good TED talk about delight too, uh, some designer, if I want to say, because it's just a word that just is delightful. Uh, and I think good software products are kind of that way. So it's hard for me to say that our project won't be about that. Um, but I think that kind of gets it maybe in something that's more intrinsic at you don't want to just solve a problem, but you want to do it in a way that also like, makes you know makes people feel good about their there day um and i think some products let's just let, let, you know is it okay if i pick on facebook oh please i think some <laughs> products i think some products are not not in a you know don't make you feel good about your day yeah. i think facebook is too much around fomo uh, right. and and all of social media in a way that, that you know you can't not check but it doesn't really make you feel good about yourself and a lot of my journey on my sabbatical 
uh, is what I call my last, <laughs> my year and a half break, um, was just about working on, you know, myself, who am I, what, what are the things that are important to me, and and kind of trying to recognize that these extrinsic things about how other people might perceive me or what other people are doing on the other side of the world that, or the other side of the country or the other side of the city that has nothing to do with me are not things that should affect my like happiness or, or well-being. Mm. Funny you should say sabbatical because that was one of my questions for you on the tail end of this show. I think everyone can find their own time in their sabbatical. Some are going to be shorter and some are going to be longer than others. But what would you recommend to our listening audience relative to if you had it one day of the week as a sabbatical, what have you learned about yourself in terms of being hyper-focused to reflect and to think and to kind of clear the deck? So our listening audience can enjoy many sabbaticals every single week and maybe get something more out of them. Yeah, good question. And we can we can go in a lot of directions with this one. But I guess I'd say there's two things that define my sabbatical journey, uh, and they were identity and health. Um, and so I'll just briefly, and you tell me what you want to dive into, identity is the notion that you identify with your job or whatever it is you do. So I was Mr. Goodreads. I identified with being the founder, the CEO, the runner, the, the, the. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, the person who spent the last 14 years of their, life, their lives eating, breeding, living, sleeping, how do I make it better? How do I grow it? How do I, um, et cetera. And when, when I stepped away from it, it was like, oh, now, now who am I? Cause I'm still relatively young. I'm mid forties. Like I, I'm not going to be that the rest of my life. Like what, how do I define myself? Uh, and what I found is you, is, is you find new goals to define yourself around. So I got deep into health and that's the second area. And what I found is I was chronically underslept. I was chronically uh, not eating well. I was, and, and probably even though I exercised plenty, like not, not in really great shape. And, you know, the sleep, I think, is just the biggest one. I, I was a person who always believed that I could subsist on six, seven hours of sleep. Uh, and I just think a person cannot or I cannot subsist on six hours and you know the book sleep by jack walker is highly highly recommended uh if you want to dive into that and to kind of be convinced that you should you you're, you're not one of those people like i'm not one of those people uh and that you probably need eight hours to do what you need to do i also highly recommend getting an aura ring or a garmin watch or a whoop strap or any of those devices that can kind of track mm -hmm. your sleep uh, because you'll find all kinds of interesting things. Like, for instance, you'll find that when you drink alcohol, you sleep really, really poorly. Um, you'll find that if you sleep, drink alcohol three, two nights in a row, you sleep even poorer the second one. 
um, and it takes you longer to recover. So anyways, I, I think I spent a lot of time in my, you know, our uh, 30s kind of building Goodreads being way underslept, and I think it was a toll on me. Um, and then I, you know, I, I kind of replaced my identity with with Goodreads in that year with like, I, I want to really learn how to take care of myself. Oh, and I signed up for a half Ironman triathlon. So I replaced my identity with, I'm a, I'm a triathlete. I'm an athlete. Uh, I may not have looked like one when I started, but but I lost 20 pounds and I just did the, I just did it uh, two months ago in September. Uh, and now I am a half Ironman triathlete and I'm in much better shape than I've been in a long, long time. And that's been an amazing journey. I've learned about all kinds of interesting things from that. Okay. That's an, so, I mean, the answer to your quick question was if you, if you had a mini sabbatical, go to the base because without your health, you, you don't have yeah. anything. And I think if you get your, your base pillars and the four being eating, mental health, sleeping, uh, and exercising, and we didn't talk about mental health, but like that's, you know, I spent a lot of time meditating in the past year and I would have said that that was a silly thing before that. Uh, but the number of smart people I know that, that recommend it is just too high for me to ignore it. It's kind of like cryptocurrency, right? I've been ignoring it too long, but I knew it was a thing. Um, but now I find it's just like going to the gym. It's like training your mind to recognize uh, intrusive thought patterns or worries or stresses. And when you train your mind to be able to deal with those better, they're less worrisome. They're less, less stressful. All right, Otis, two final questions for you. We've been studying fear. I'd love for you to tell us about your relationship with fear and how you've managed it throughout your life. Fear. Well, I have a great quote for you. Because whenever anybody asks me what my favorite book is, and there's a movie out about it now, and I just reread the book, so fear is the mind killer. I must not fear. It's the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear and permit it to move through me and pass, pass me. Um, so that being a quote from Dune. Good one. Uh, Good one. Is one of my favorite books. Good one. But I, I couldn't resist the temptation to, to to quote you that. Um but I, I do have a good a good frame on fear, which is turn it around and make it an inspiration, make it a challenge. And I think when you flip a fear like that, and it be and this is a great leadership tactic too. You'll you'll see a lot of great leaders actually doing this. They they flip something from you know, shoot, our company isn't working. Some some critical, horrible thing is happening to like, well, now there's a challenge. How do we solve it? How do we fix it? How do we face this this challenge head on? And that's galvanizing. That's, you know, that's throwing down a challenge at people, which if they're the right kind of people, we'll, we'll run at that challenge. And so I think that's the way to face fear. Beautiful. Last question for you, the engineer, the tinkerer, and it's related to speed. Is it possible for us to speed up our epiphanies in life? <laughs> to speed up our epiphanies in life. Man, how many epiphanies have you had? Um, when I am reflective and more zen, I have more. I've tracked it. When I am too busy as an entrepreneur, which I define entrepreneur as constantly feeling like I'm doing both too much and not enough. 
I don't find the space to for epiphanies. That's my sad statement, but that's the way it is. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you. I think it is definitely possible to speed up your rate of epiphanies. Should should you be lucky to have any that are big? Um, because I think if you set aside the time to be a tinkerer, to kind of be a wanderer, I like that word too, kind of wandering. It's another great way to innovate. Uh, you know, when you're on the clock every hour of meeting, uh, you're running from thing to thing, like you're not having the time to be creative. And if you set aside the time to be creative, uh, I think that's ingredient number one. I think ingredient number two is kind of mixing the pot with a bunch of interesting stuff. And, you know, my engineering background, I kind of have a geeky way of thinking about information, which is that essentially our brains, well, it's, it's not wrong, actually, our, our big neural nets. Uh, and the more that data we push through them, the more patterns they recognize. And so this is, you know, one reason why I like reading lots of books. It's one reason why I like reading lots of online content. That's interesting. It's one reason why I believe that we shouldn't train our brains with bad content, right? Um, because what we read, you know, forms our opinions and matters. Uh, and so the more we train our brains, the more patterns we can recognize. And I'm doing this right now with my new project where I'll read something unrelated or I thought unrelated to what we're working on, but it'll trigger some thought, some some pattern will connect that you wouldn't have never thought of and give me some new idea or new way of looking at it. And mm. that is amazing. And that is one of my favorite parts of doing that when, when you're just in that zone where you're making patterns and connections that you would have never thought about. Um, but it, but it's a function of reading a lot of content, talking to a lot of smart people uh, and having the time to kind of wander uh, and, and have a space to do that. Mm. That's about setting the right, mindset in having higher mindfulness and letting yourself go, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's about having the intention, but it's also about having the focus. At the same so time. when I was in my first year and a half of sabbatical and I was reading books and reading articles, I, I was very unfocused and it was a little frustrating. I think that was kind of the, the root. Like, you know, I read books about training and my sleeping. And so that was good and focused. But once I kind of got through a lot of that, I felt very unfocused in my, in my learning and in my reading. Uh, and then when I came on the notion that I was going to do this project, I was like, hmm, now suddenly everything I read has a lens where I'm trying to read things about that, read things about tangential to that. Uh, and it, it really gave me a focus to, to I'm, I'm going to even use the word purpose. Uh, and I think that's kind of what a purpose is. It's, it's a focus to your life that feels good. Uh, and I think that's an important thing to have. Mm, I do too. Otis, thanks for being on today. Um, I'm looking forward to Otis 3.0 and watching you continue to move <laughs> from success to significance. And, um, we wish you and your family well, and especially Elizabeth. And thank you so much for being on our program today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure you to bet. be here. That was Otis Chandler. We appreciate him being on our Legend Show. And um, we hope that this show will inspire you to greatness. And as we always say, may you continue to move to the level of being extraordinary and doing significant things. Have a great week. I'm so glad that we met Edward Jones and Servant Maricini. 
Edward Jones and their financial advisors like Serban have been with us for all of our life moments. Serban is always centered on us, where we are and where we want to go. He was instrumental in helping us live around the world, building our media company and nurturing us as a true partner into the next stage of our lives. You know, there's 19,000 financial advisors out there, 7 million clients in their company, but he treats us like we're the only one and the one that really matters. If you want to contact Serban today, you can contact him at S-E-R-B-A-N period M-A-R-A-C-I-N-E at edwardjones.com. You know, life is for living. Why don't you partner for all of it with Edward Jones? Edward Jones. 